Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm, again, very happy to have a returning guest with the first appearance in 2021, Dr. Christiana Quintini, who is the program director and surgical director of Cleveland Clinic's liver transplantation program. And we're going to talk a little bit today about a novel approach to liver transplantation. Christiana, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thank you, Scott, for having me back. So I'm going to just set the stage for uh, a lot of our listeners out there who may not understand the scope uh, of some of the programs that you're doing. So Cleveland Clinic performed 1,039 transplants in 2021, including heart, kidney, liver, intestine, and lung. That's up 18% from the number of transplants performed at the Cleveland Clinic in 2020 alone. Think about that. Cleveland Clinic's liver transplant, of which Dr. Quintini, our guest today, is the surgical director of, uh, is the largest in the United States, according to data from the Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network. And Cleveland Clinic's liver transplant program in Ohio completed 210, that's almost one a day, liver transplants, which is the highest number in the history of this program. So before you even tell us your background, what a huge congratulations to you and the unbelievable number of lives that you have affected. So congratulations. Thank you, Scott. Thank you very much. So now, now we'll get into a little bit about you. So for those who did not hear the prior episode, tell us a little bit about your background. So obviously, I'm a liver surgeon. I do perform a liver transplantation as well as uh, liver surgery for uh, both benign and malignant disease and uh, have the fortune to work uh, a lot with you and your team in some of the cancer cases. And uh, obviously, we're focusing on uh, liver transplantation here at the clinic, particularly for uh, all those patients that have end-stage liver disease, not only that, though, also for uh, uh, a lot of patients that present with uh, unresectable cancer. So liver transplantation uh, is becoming more and more the treatment of choice, not just for um, the, uh, as I mentioned, the end-stage liver disease uh, that it can be uh, caused by viruses, can be caused by drinking, can be caused by some other autoimmune disease. But there's also a, this big uh, uh, movement lately to use this technology um, also to uh, replace livers that are um, literally replaced by cancers and with very, very promising uh, results. So it's a very exciting uh, time for, um, for uh, people that work in, in my field, I would say. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the numbers to start out this podcast, but can you give me an idea? How many are typically needed per year in the U.S.? And are there enough donors to meet this demand or, or is there a surplus of livers out there? So this is a very interesting question, uh, Scott. So I would uh, challenge this question actually in a different uh, way. So uh, typically we do in the U.S. about 10,000 liver transplants every year. And the reality is that... Uh, if we had more organs, we could do 15, we could do 20. And uh, so many of the patients that we see uh, on a daily basis that are seeking a liver transplant, many of them 
uh, unfortunately, we don't even consider them for a transplant. So even when we consider the mortality on the waiting list or how many liver transplant we do, uh, we're all looking at very relative numbers because we're very selective on the patients that we accept for a transplant. Now, if we had a unlimited uh, source of organs, I can tell you we would uh, increase uh, and expand the indication for listing, and we would double or triple the number of transplants uh, immediately, essentially. So it's a, it's a very uh, delicate equation between deciding who can uh, receive a transplant, who's, a, who's an acceptable candidate for transplant. That also depends on the organ availability. So about 10,000 uh, transplants a year, slight increase uh, in the past uh, three, four, five years. We will discuss later why. And uh, about 10, 15, uh, in certain areas, even 20% mortality on the waiting list, meaning you get into the list and you have 15, 20% chance of never getting that life-saving uh, call. Wow, that is unbelievable. I have not heard those statistics in a while. So talk a little bit about your latest research that's helping Cleveland Clinic successfully transplant livers that maybe other programs may deem unusable. Yes. So at the clinic, uh, we have had uh, a very unique approach uh, towards uh, um, expansion of the donor pool because that's what it goes down to. So what are the things that we can do as a program to increase the number of uh, transplant we do to increase access to transplantation? So we have implemented uh, about uh, 10 years ago and more recently also with the new technology, several strategies. One pertains to the use of living donors. Uh, as you know, the uh, liver is an organ that regenerates very, very rapidly. We can take uh, about 60% of somebody's liver and expect, uh, or even 70 if the liver is normal, and expect uh, full uh, regeneration within three or four weeks uh, time frame. And uh, so what, what that means is that we can take uh, a big portion of somebody's uh, liver that is willing to donate and, and transplant this liver to somebody else. It's called the living donor liver transplantation and, um, and expect full recovery both on the donor and recipient and uh, without using any cadaveric organ. So that's one strategy, living donor liver transplantation. We've been pushing the limits quite a bit in our program, particularly by designing technologies that makes donation uh, for, the, for the healthy donor very safe. So we're pushing a lot the transplant of left lobes uh, that are much more safer for the, for the donor, and we found new ways to make it work on the recipient. Now, that's one big strategy. The second big strategy that we have is that about six years ago, we invested a tremendous amount of, uh, of uh, energy and, and, and passion in, a, in, a, in an emerging technology uh, that involves the uh, way we preserve organs. So we went into the lab and we asked ourselves, what is that we can uh, do to, to improve the way we keep the organ uh, uh, during the transition between the donor and the recipient. And, uh, and, and we ask uh, uh, ourselves uh, this uh, question with a very simple answer. We need to create something that uh, reproduces outside of the body uh, what we have uh, in our own uh, human system. So we need to, now the way we are preserving organs is we take in uh, these um, tissues and we place them in ice. And, uh, and this works okay, but many of the organs get a huge injury 
by being placed in ice. So we built, we designed uh, our own perfusion technology, the only one in the world that was uh, created by an institution, not a commercial entity. It's a device that uh, keeps the organ alive uh, between the time of organ procurement and the time of transplantation. So we pump uh, fresh blood uh, through the organ. This blood is oxygenated. It comes with nutrients, with uh, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, important things that the liver needs to be able to, to function properly and all at body temperature. So we're recreating outside of the body a, a physiologic environment. And this has been proven to be uh, tremendously helpful, particularly because we can use this device to tell us if the organ is good or not. All things that we, we cannot do now if we put the organ in ice, we can also recondition the organ. We can do things to make the organ better if the organ is not per perfect in the first place. And all these technologies, both living donor and uh, the use of this uh, preservation device, which is called the ex vivo organ perfusion device, have accounted for about 30-40% of all our transplants. So the answer to your question is, what is that we've done to increase the number of transplants over the past uh, uh, five, 10 years is a very aggressive use of living donor liver transplants and also the use of innovative uh, preservation technologies. That is unbelievable. Can you tell us a little bit more, just broader, what is organ perfusion? What does that mean? Yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's actually, the, 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 you're right. It's a very complex uh, term to define a very simple technology. If you think of what happens when uh, uh, patients uh, for the past 50 years uh, uh, have received open heart surgery. So what happens during an open heart surgery? Very simple. We uh, circulate the patient's blood uh, outside of the body and, uh, and we bypass the heart and the lungs. So basically we use a machine to, um, to pump blood through the patients and to, pump and to oxygenate uh, blood through the patient while the, the surgeons are operating on the heart. So these machines are called uh, uh, cardiopulmonary bypass machines. So essentially what we are doing, we are doing the same thing that a uh, bypass machine is doing on a patient. We're doing it on, a, on our organ. We are uh, pumping blood through an organ that has been taken uh, out of a, of, a, of a body. And we are maintaining uh, the normal function uh, as if that organ had never left uh, uh, the body. And this is our machines that have been around for uh, for uh, uh, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, very simple to operate, and they just haven't been used with this specific uh, purpose. So we're repurposing a little bit something that's been around for a long time. Now we're going to go into something that we call truth or myth. So truth or myth, time spent on the liver transplant waiting list is a major factor in deciding who gets a transplant. Uh, this is a myth. Uh, the way organs are allocated are uh, based on the patient's uh, severity of disease. In liver, we are quite fortunate uh, because we have a way of quantify with a score. It's called the MELD score, M-E-L-D, MELD score. It's a score that quantifies uh, quite precisely how sick a patient is. It tells you what's the likelihood of a patient to be alive in the next three months without a transplant, right? And so now we allocate organs to patients based on their MELD score. The higher is the MELD score, the higher is uh, uh, the chance that that person, that patient would get uh, a timely transplant. Uh, now, obviously, 
Uh, if you have a very high melt score, yes, you have a chance to get in a liver, but also that means that you're, you're very sick and at times even about to die. So, but yes, the way organs are allocated is uh, based on uh, uh, the severity of the liver disease, not, not uh, how long you've been on the waiting list. Truth or myth, a liver donor needs to have my same blood type in order to ensure a successful transplant. That's also a myth. The blood type has to be compatible doesn't have to be identical. So for instance, if you have a certain blood type that can uh, receive cross uh, blood types, then we can do the transplant. A, a person that has a blood type O, for instance, can donate uh, to uh, anybody. Somebody has a blood type AB, can receive from anybody. So there are specific combinations that have to be respected, uh, but uh, as long as there is compatibility across blood types, you're good to go. Shiano, this just kind of came to me. If I just decided, hey, I want to give half my liver up for something, could, could I just call somebody and say, hey, let's let's arrange this to do? Is that is that a possibility? Yes, absolutely. And actually, this is done uh, quite uh, more than what we uh, would imagine. Uh, it's called altruistic donation uh, or good Samaritan donation. We have a, a, a phone a number that you, that you or people that are willing to donate can call. And uh, uh, we have children waiting for, for liver. We have uh, adults that, are, that would benefit tremendously from a donation. Uh, absolutely. And uh, uh, it's always uh, really, really amazing. We've, we've had Scott, and, and, and that tells you how beautiful is what we do. We had patients uh, that had donated uh, uh, altruistically a kidney. And then they came to us and donated part of their liver. Hmm. Uh, I cannot think of anything more beautiful and touching than that. Uh, yes, the answer to your question, uh, we can all help uh, somebody else. So what else on the horizon as far as research by your team here at the Cleveland Clinic that will help provide better outcomes and a quality of life for liver donors and recipients? Absolutely. There's a lot, of, lot more that we can do. Number one, we need to continuously make the operation for the living donor, the donor person, uh, safer and less invasive. So we are pioneering uh, minimal invasive liver surgery here for donors. Uh, we have uh, probably one of the best programs in the world, if not the best program in the world. And uh, we just need to continue to do it uh, uh, safely. And uh, we also have to continue to investigate how to transplant less and less liver to obtain the same good outcomes. And, and, and we're doing a lot of studies uh, uh, about that, and I think we're, we're in a very good path here. Uh, the other thing is we need to continue to expand these uh, organ preservation technologies because this is a platform, and we just need to discover things that we can do using this platform to repair an injured organ to recondition it, to make it more suitable for the recipient, perhaps by adjusting the immune system of the organ. So I think this is the beginning of a very, very intriguing uh, future for, for organ transplantation. So as you know, we like to have some quick hitters to uh, get to know our guests a little bit better. You've answered some of these questions in the past. And so I'm going to ask you a couple of new ones today. So first up, salt or sweet? It depends. <laughs> Breakfast <laughs> is sweet and uh, lunch and dinner are uh, salty. There we go. So what's your favorite candy bar? Oh, it's a candy bar from Italy. Uh, Ferrero is the brand. I don't know if I can disclose it, but they uh, make uh, chocolate candies that are very good. And when you're a kid, you always uh, fight with your parents uh, to get more and more and always say no, but you find your way. 
Sounds delicious. And what was your first car? Oh, my first car was a Fiat Panda, very, very low entry <laughs> car, but they did the job and uh, there were a few scratches here and there and I didn't feel that guilty. So Dr. Quintini, you're obviously from Italy and uh, you've been to a lot of different countries, but what's a country out there that you'd say, hey, that's near the top of my list that I want to visit next that I've never visited? Uh, I would uh, love to visit Japan because that's something that I haven't, uh, haven't uh, visited already or Africa. Those are my two uh, top of the list uh, uh, places that I would like to be. Fantastic. So final take home message for our listeners regarding uh, liver transplantation. Uh, so liver transplantation is uh, a constantly evolving field. What uh, we perceived as inimaginable, even like three years ago, uh, with the big uh, inventions in the hepatitis C field, they've been completely revolutionized. And uh, I think in the next five years, liver transplantation is going to uh, be a key um, answer to many of these uh, very advanced cancer that you, Scott, see, and, and we all see them every day, even in young patients. So I think transplantation is going to have an increasing role in the treatment of cancer. And also, we're going to be able to expand it tremendously with all these technologies. Well, that's incredibly exciting. And so for more information on Cleveland Clinic's liver transplant program, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash liver dash TX. That's clevelandclinic.org slash liver T-X. And you can also call the program at 216-444-1976. That's 216-444-1976. And finally, please remember it's important for you and your family to continue to receive medical care, regular checkups and screenings. And rest assured here at the Cleveland Clinic, we're taking all the necessary precautions to sterilize our facilities and protect our patients and caregivers. Dr. Quintini, thanks for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thanks for having me, Scott. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.